Good morning. Open up with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to be as we talk about this sermon series entitled, Who Am I? A look at God's Word to determine our identity, uh, which is found in the words of Jesus and, of course, in the holy book that we study. We're going to be reading verses 19 through 22 this morning. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on a foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. And in him, the whole building is being joined together and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Holy Spirit. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, I am uh, just really grateful to be here, and I'm grateful for your continued faithfulness to us. With grateful hearts, we're, we come because you have made us new. And as we study your word this morning, I pray that you'll just guide and lead our, our thoughts, guide and lead our minds, open up our hearts uh, to your truth. And Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I am a saint. But according to the Roman Catholic Church, there are three steps to become a saint. First of all, you have to be venerated, which means that you've been revered and honored for living a holy life. The second step of sainthood is called beautification. You're beautified after it's been proven that you have performed a miracle. And the third step is canonization. Sometimes can take centuries. It's the formal process by which the church declares a person to be a saint and worthy of universal reverence. You complete those steps, and now you're a full-fledged saint. Are you a saint? We were to use this process of election. I'm certainly not. But beyond the standards of the Roman Catholic Church, most people don't even believe that they are saints. I mean, sainthood should be reserved for world changers. Mother Teresa-type people who give their lives completely to God, who are free from sin, who are holy. And I guess by this standard, I'm also not a saint then who is a saint? Who can hold this prestigious title of being a saint? 
Our text this morning is a little bit tricky to interpret based on the Greek. In fact, as I was reading along, you probably noticed that I never actually used the word saint, did I? There are five adjectives in this passage and one noun. <laughs> and most of those adjectives serve actually as nouns. The one I'm interested in is pronounced hagion. Say hagion. Good job. You guys are Greek scholars now. Now, the NIV has done its best to construct this sentence in a way that we can understand Paul's use of adjectives. So many of the biblical translations for hagion says God's people. You see that in your text today. Hagion is used 45 times in the New Testament. And many times it's translated as the adjective holy. And sometimes it's translated as the adjective that serves as a noun, saint. Or as the NIV says, God's people. Therefore, if we were to construct Ephesians 2.19, look at that passage again with me. It might say something like this. You meaning the church in Ephesus, are no longer strangers, you're no longer aliens, but you're citizens of the saints and household members of God. If you remember a few weeks ago, I, I said that we are aliens, right? That was the whole title of my sermon. But we are aliens here on earth. We are not aliens in heaven. We are saints who are part of God's family. So I think instead of getting caught up in this Greek, we need to take some time to define this word saint. So follow with me in your notes. We're going to write down a few definitions. For starters, you'll notice that the saint, a saint, is filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul ends his construction metaphor to state that we are all being built into a building by which God dwells by his Holy Spirit. Therefore, a saint is someone who is completely taken over by the Holy Spirit. There once was a traveling evangelist who visited England years ago, and several of the area pastors got together to discuss this evangelist. And one pastor in particular complained, this evangelist is too young. He's, he's not educated as much as we pastors are. He's not experienced enough. And he used this phrase, what does he think he has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? But one pastor spoke up and said, no, but the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on him. A saint is someone whom the Holy Spirit has taken control. Boy, would I love to be described in that way. I want to be described as someone to whom the Holy Spirit has complete and utter charge. In Romans chapter 8, we find this word saint again. 
It says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, God's people, in accordance with the will of God. When I think about the idea of the Holy Spirit taking control of someone's life, I often think of the Old Testament example of Joseph. You remember Joseph. He was deceived by his brothers and sold into slavery. But Joseph, being filled with the Spirit, kept following the leadership of God. And that led him to be in charge of all of his boss's household. But when the boss's wife had him fired and put in jail, Joseph didn't lose the leadership of the Holy Spirit in his lives. Soon he became in charge of the whole jail cell. And even though he was forgotten by a friend, Joseph eventually got a chance to interpret a dream for Pharaoh of Egypt. And Pharaoh responded to this by saying, and can anyone find a man like this, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Saints, we must have the same opinion about ourselves, that we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God who dwells inside of each and every one of us. Write this second definition down this morning. We are saints, plural. We are saints, plural. Notice in verse 21 that we are built, that we are joined together. I am not a saint, singular. We are saints, plural. There are numerous examples out of the 45 times this word is used where saints is a collection of people. The New Testament doesn't refer to just a saint, but a collection of people who are saints. Let me give just a few of those examples for you. In Acts, we're told that Peter went to visit the saints in Lydda. In Romans, Paul says that we are loved by God and called to be saints, plural. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says that in order that the church must have order and not disorder. And he says that must be the case in all of the congregations of the saints, plural. Ephesians was written to the saints in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. In Philippians, Paul refers to Christians in Rome as saints who send their greetings to the church in Philippi. And these are just a few examples of this word, how each and every time it's plural. And I think that's important. I would not call you Christians today, but a gathering of the saints. In fact, the word saints is used as the collection of church, more so 
than the word Christian, they would call you saints. Now, Jenga is a fun game to play with your family. I've got a Jenga set right here in front of me, thanks to uh, Sherry, and uh, thanks to a few folks this morning who played Jenga, even though they were supposed to leave my toys alone, adults in this room. Jenga is a pretty easy game to play. You start with a flat surface, and you stack the blocks until they become a tall tower that you see before you today. This is the sturdiest the tower will be. The object of the game is to keep the tower from falling. So you have to be super careful, and one person at a time will remove the block and then place it on top. Each player keeps taking a turn until the tower is so unsteady that it falls over. When all the blocks are held together, when they're joined together, they are the sturdiest. But every time you take a block out and you place it where? On top. What happens? It becomes more and more unsteady. We are saints. A saint isn't someone that you take out and put on top. The church is the strongest when we are saints. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, just as a body, has, though it's one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Now, we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. He says, whether Jews or Gentiles, he says, whether slave or free, we were all given the same spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part but of many. And then he expands this metaphor. I'm going to skip forward a little because he expands this metaphor of the body Further throughout the chapter saying, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The hand can't say to the eye, I don't need you. But in 1 Corinthians 12, 17, it says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Now look at 1 Corinthians 12, 27. It says, now you are the body of Christ. And each and every one of you has a part in it. We are all saints. We are all made stronger when we stand together, when we join together as saints. All right, let's get to this last definition. And it's, it's probably the one that is most attached to the Greek word hagion. I mentioned earlier that hagion can be translated saint and it can also be translated as holy. And so this verse could have easily have said that we are part of the holy ones. We are the holy ones. And so a saint is set apart, and a saint is holy. 
Paul says that as we are joined together, we become a holy temple. That word right there is hagion. We are saints who are joined together to be a saintly temple. The literal translation of the passage would be the holy ones of God. We are made holy. It's not based on a feeling. It's not a matter if you feel holy. It's based on the work of God in Christ Jesus. We are saints and we have been made holy. I heard the story about a little girl who was visiting a beautiful cathedral with her aunt. It was afternoon. The sun's rays were streaming through the stained glass window. And each of those windows featured a saint that had gone before us. And the little girl pointed at one of the windows, said, who is, who is that? And the aunt said, well, that's St. Peter. And she pointed another window and she'd say, Auntie, who's, who's that? And her aunt would reply, that's St. John. And she would point another, and she would say, that's St. James. Then with a sigh of satisfaction, the little girl said, well, I know what a saint is. A saint is somebody the light shines through. And that's the truth. You want to be holy as God is holy. You want to be Hagian, a saint who is holy. Let the light shine we're studying the Beatitudes on Wednesday night. I'm intrigued by the beginning of Jesus' sermon that just follows the Beatitude. He jumps from the Beatitudes straight into our identity. In Matthew chapter 5, he says, Y'all are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a, a lamp and then put it underneath a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's dissect this together. Jesus declares that you and I are light. And you can't say to light, hey, light. Shine brighter. Light shines according to the brightness in which it's been assigned, right? Light shines. That's what it does. Shining is the core attribute of its nation, of its nature. So shine. You have been declared holy and a saint by God. So shine. God has filled us with his Holy Spirit. So shine. God has united us together as one body. We should shine. That moves us into our time of communion. A time that declares... The action of Jesus Christ on the cross that causes us to glow. It's from his sacrifice that you and I are given new life. I want to invite you to go to one of these communion stations, take the cup, 
On the bottom cup is the bread. On the top cup is the juice. And as we sing this next song, a hymn that many of you know that declares the glory to God, let's reflect on the light that he shines through us. Let's pray. Father, I'm truly, truly grateful that you have made us new. I'm grateful for your son, Jesus Christ, who came to sacrifice his own life, that he gave it freely so that we might have new life. Father, thank you for declaring us holy through that sacrifice. I know, Lord, there's times that I don't feel holy. There's times that I screw up, I, I really mess up, and Lord, you just come along with your grace and you make me new again. So as we reflect on that, Lord, we give you the glory, we give you the praise, and we declare how great thou art. In Jesus' name, amen.